Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Can you feel the presence of God in this place? Can you feel his love? Can you feel his joy? Can you feel his happiness, his peace, his goodness, his mercy, his compassion, which is new for you every single day of your life? Can you feel him? He is so wonderful. If you love him, let him know. If you love him, let him know. I love you, Jesus. I love you, God. This morning is a good day. Not only this morning, yesterday, the day before yesterday, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow. Every single day of my life and your life is a great day because God is there. He is the one who turns his curse into a blessing. He is the one who turns bitterness into a sweet experience. Hallelujah. There's nobody like our God. This morning, I was thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be standing here or not. I don't know if Pastor was going to pull a fast one or not, but I'm here, you know. This morning, I want to talk to you from God's word from the book of Luke, chapter 15. Now, when we look in Luke chapter 15, we can see that Jesus Christ is talking about three different stories. Luke chapter 15 starts with people criticizing Jesus Christ. People come to Jesus Christ and they criticize him. Why are you sitting with the sinners and the publicans? Why are you with the wicked people? They criticize Jesus Christ. And he tells a story with one theme. He tells three different stories with one theme. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. Lost. Instead of Jesus saying, verily, verily, or truly, truly, Jesus tells three different stories. This was important to Jesus Christ. People may have criticized Jesus in the past, but he always said, verily, verily, or listen to me if you have an ear, or truly, truly. But this time, you're touching the heart of God. You're talking against the people of God. You're talking against my beloved. You're talking against my creation. You're talking against my son and my daughter. And he takes it a little bit further. He tells parables, which gives illusions, worlds, and dramas, and feelings, and passions. Sinners are important to Jesus. He wants them, and he's doing something constantly looking. I want you to turn to the person next to you, right, left, front, back, everywhere. Say, God looking for you. God's looking for you. I'm looking for you too. 
I'm looking for your eyes. I'm looking for your mind. I'm looking for your heart. I'm going to try my best to grab it and bring it to the presence of God. So we're going to start reading this. We're going to read the parable about the lost son from verse 11 to, I believe, 23. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving. I will set out back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So when he got up and went to his father, so he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran to him and kissed his son, threw his arms around him, kissed him, the son, said, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Now here we, we know this story as a story of the prodigal son. But this is not truly the story of the prodigal son. This is a story of the prodigal father. Prodigal father. Now in this story we hear about a man, he wanted to enjoy life, all of the passions, all of the pleasures, everything he wanted to enjoy it. So what does he do? He gets his inheritance from his father. He tells his dad, I don't want you anymore. I don't really need this. The stuff that you're giving me, let me make my own life. Let me make my own world. Let me have whatever I want. You do whatever you need. I'm leaving you. Gets his share, goes off to a distant country, and starts to live lavishly. Starts to live lavishly until he has nothing left. He comes to the bottom. Now in this story, we can see that this is a depiction or a portrayal of the story of salvation, so to say. A pastor once said it like this, this is a story in three different words or terms. This guy was sick of home, then he was homesick, then he was homebound. But I want to show you some things that you can learn from this particular text and passage. 
I hope you're praying in your pews for me because I need some help. In this particular passage, we can see that it gives us a certain theology or understanding of sin. When sin comes in, what it does and how it works and what it is. What, did, what happened in this story? Sin caused separation. Sin caused loss. And the last thing, sin is senseless. Sin is senseless. If you look at anything that you really do wrong in life, and you think about it long and hard enough, you will think to yourself, how stupid am I? If you think about the wrong, and th wrong things people do in this world, the sins that people do in this world, you will realize how senseless it is. Every single sin that we commit in our life is ultimately senseless. Looking at history, we can understand a person who drugs, uh, does drugs, what happens to them? If you smoke, this happens to your lungs, this happens to your liver, this happens to your brain. Then why do people smoke? Senseless. If we look at the history of people going to AA meetings, if we look at the number of accidents caused by drunk drivers, if we look at the number of families destroyed because of drinking, we would think to ourselves, why? Does doing this make any sense? Hallelujah. Completely senseless. The sins that we commit in our life is senseless. So why do we commit sins that we commit? Why do we do the wrong that we do? I want you to write this down in your heart. This is a good quote. Reverend Zacharias, he once said, Many times, reason is crushed under the weight of emotion. I want to say it again. Many times in our life, the reason or the capacity to think is crushed under the weight of emotion. Emotional thinking has destroyed our faith. Instead of Abraham, Abraham reasoned that if God can give me a son out of my dead body and her dead body, God can raise a son from me out of the grave, out of the dust, out of death. Faith is reasonable. Living for God, living a holy life is reasonable. Living a sinful life is senseless. It is foolish. But so many times we look at the people who pray too much and we say, Isn't it right? I want to read something about Susan Wesley. This is a woman of God. I'm sorry, Susanna. Susanna Wesley. Susanna was a mother. She took time every single week to call her children around her. And she would have discussions about God and about things of life with her children. And she would talk with them every day, I mean, uh, every week once. This was such an important thing for them that even after her children grew up and left, they would send letters and they would still communicate, talking about things of life and God. She was such a woman that 
that when her husband, excuse me, when her husband would go out preaching, she would get into his library, start taking books and reading. She would write, start reading sermons aloud to her children while she was in the kitchen. This became so well known that in her kitchen, there was about 200 people gathering every day, listening to her speak of God. Now this is the kind of woman Susanna Wesley was. One day, John Wesley had a question, and he asked his mother, what is sin? Now I want to read that to you. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs your tenderness, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things, that is sin to you, however innocent or good it may be in itself. Whatever takes away from your reason, whatever takes away from your conscience, whatever takes away from your desire for spiritual things, that is sin to you, no matter how good no matter how innocent, no matter how okay it is. That is sin. And that is senseless. It takes away from your reason. It takes away from your God. Like I said, sin causes separation. The first place that it causes separation is not in the family. It is between you and God. Amen. What does separation from God look like? Do you know what it looks like? We all, now we're in a particular paradigm when every single country in this world is trying to separate themselves from God. We want to have a common ground. No God. But if you look in history at the countries who lived without God, you will see something. You know what it is? Death. Many times people criticize Christianity for murdering so many people. But if you look at countries that had no God, you will see a greater number. I've written it down for us. When you look at Stalin, there was 54 to 62 million people killed. Directly linked to him, 34 to 49 million people. That's one person, a communist without God. When you look at Lenin, 4 million. When you look at Mao Zedong, 45 million people in four years. How many people do we have in this church? Sin brings death. Sin brings separation from God and ultimately death. Sin is senseless. Sin steals from you. Sin has taken what's most beloved and the lover of your life, God. But here we read a story about a son who came to his senses. Let's start to be wise again. Let's throw away sin and everything that takes us away from God. Amen. But there's a happy ending to the story. It's not all about sin. It's about salvation. It's about redemption. It's about a receiving back. Amen. Now here we read a story. The son, the son is coming back home. And when he comes home, what happens? What happens? The father sees him from far away and starts running. And he starts running. But 
Kaise ke dorda? How was he running? If anybody wearing a sari here, can you please raise your hand? Who wearing a sari here? Only Mona Mandy. This is a lie. <laughs> Who wearing a sari? Come on, point it out. I want to see. If you're wearing a sari, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're wearing a sari. Come on. Everybody wearing a sari, you're not raising your hands. Okay, I want to ask you a question. Don't feel bad. How long did it take to put this on? I was watching my mom this morning. Mommy Erda. Man, she was sweating. She's wearing a sari today. She was sweating. I was like, man, this is a hard job, putting on a sari. I only realized after I got married, you know, my, my wife saying, wear a sari. I said, I can't help you. It's too complicated. But do you think a person wearing a sari will run? I want to ask some more questions, but nobody was responding. How many years have you been wearing saris? 30 years? 40 years? Yeah, 40 years. Sari ite todi tondo. In this 40 years, after wearing, in, in wearing a sari, you ever run? You ran? I don't think they were running, because I think that they were just walking really fast. <laughs> You're putting it on is hard. You, I wouldn't want to run with it, you know? Because, you know, it's hard. Now, sari itto oran mendi. Engine oran. Chumma oran. Illa. Engine pokku. Right? Now I want you to picture this father. What does he look like? He is a man you can say almost wearing a sari. He sees his son far away. Naman keed orkade. Hallelujah. Avinde tuni pokki. That's what's happening. It's a father. He's wearing a robe. And if he wants to run, he has to lift up that robe. He has to run for his son. You ever see your mother running with a sari? No. You won't see that. <coughs> this is a dignified Jewish community with people outside looking. Couple of months ago, this son just slapped his father on the face. Now his father is lifting up his clothes and running for his son to embrace his son. What does it look like? How do you picture it? This is the way I envisioned it. He's running for his son. And what happens when he meets his son? He embraces him. I want you to think, how is that father-son relationship? What is the relationship now? What kind of mind does the son have now? Is it still rebellious? Is it still trying to say sin is okay? It makes sense a little bit. Let me bring it into the house. No. The father, the son says all of it was wrong. I have done a mistake. It was all wrong. I give you all of myself. I love you. Many of the times we come into church we ask God for repentance, but we still try to qualify senseless things. When I first came into the church, when I first got saved, this is what I felt like. I felt like I left the world to come to a church that only wants the world. 
I felt like I left the world to come to a church that only wants the world. It didn't make sense to me. So many times I told my dad, I'm not coming. I remember I brought my friend here once. Not he, I brought my friend to a church. I don't want to say which church. He was a drug dealer. His family was a little bit messed up, but he came here. He asked me, should I take off my hat? I said, take it off, please. We were worshiping. When we were worshiping, his hands went up by itself. He started crying. When I looked in front of me, people were not experiencing what he was experiencing. They were on their cell phone. I'm not saying this to condemn anybody. But we went into the world, we came out of the world, and we're still bringing some of the world back into the church. This is not what happened in this story. This son came back to the first love, and he remained in it. He remained in it. And what happened? The father put a robe on him. The best garment. What kind of garment did Joseph have? What kind of garment do princes have? Royal, purple. He put a ring on his finger. The, finger. the ring means three things. It means that you have authority, you have access, and who you are. It has the family crest. It has authority to speak on behalf of the father. And third thing, it has access to all that belongs to the father. When the son came back, the father gave him everything back. This is the story of our life. This is the story of my life. I lost some things in the past. The grasshopper came and he ate. The locust came and he ate. I lost some years. I lost some benefits. I lost some goodness. But I want to tell you, when I came back to God, he gave me so much more. That's what's happening here. That's what I want to give here. The next thing that the father does is put sandals on his feet. We commonly know that slaves were the only people who didn't have sandals. The father said, he's no longer a slave to sin. He's no longer a slave to that old master who was feeding, feeding him and giving him to the pigs. This is my son with dignity. My time is almost up. I want to close with two things. There's a story by Ernest Hemingway. Ernest, Ernest Hemingway was a man who grew up in the evangelical family. But he didn't get to really experience his, too much of his parents' love. So he wrote a story one day. He wrote a story about a Spanish father and his son. And this is what the story goes like. There was a Spanish father, he had a son. His son got into an argument with his father and he ran away to Madrid. After some time, his father was full of remorse and he felt bad. So he went to Madrid and he, put, he started looking for his son, but then when he couldn't find him, he put an ad in the newspaper. It goes like this, Paco, all is forgiven. Meet me at the touring hotel, Tuesday at noon. So this father goes to the touring hotel and he's standing at the lobby and he's shocked. There's 800 Pacos all looking for a father's forgiveness. 800 other people looking for a relationship 
with their father. All of them came to that lobby thinking all is forgiven. People need forgiveness. People need acceptance. People around us. There is someone just like you, a lost son, a lost daughter. The last thing I want to close with is this. The story is not about a prodigal son. It's about a prodigal father. What does prodigal mean? Prodigal doesn't mean lost. Prodigal means lavish, generous, and giving. The real prodigal was the father. He gave. He gave it all. He gave up his honor. He gave up his pride. He gave it all. The real story is the prodigal father. The Bible says in the book of James. Man, God loves me so much. Too much love. In the book of James, it says like this. If any of you lack wisdom, come to the father who will give it to you generously and without finding fault. Come. Come. I'm calling you. Come. My father loves you. Come. My, wa my father wants to give you joy, happiness. He wants to give you life, not just life. In abundance, he wants to give it to you. He wants to give it generously because he is a prodigal, a true prodigal, a true giver. He gives it generously. He who did not spare his only begotten son, will he not give all things with him? For I know that my God gives me, he provides all my needs according to his riches in glory. Yes. For I know that he will give me more than I ask or Amen. imagine. Come, put away all the senseless things, your doubt, your fear. It doesn't make sense. Only this word makes sense. Take it up. Take it up. God is going to bless you. Before I sit down, I have two minutes. I want to pray. If you want to pray with me, you can say in the name of Jesus at the right time. I'm going to keep saying it. Say in the name of Jesus with me. Lord, I come to your holy presence and we bind every spirit of pride in the name of Jesus. Today, this morning, Father, we come into your presence and we bind every spirit of sorrow, depression, and weakness in the name of Jesus. Today, this morning, we come into your presence and we bind the spirit of infirmity, of sickness in the name of Jesus. Today, this morning, we come into the presence of God. We rebuke the spirit of infirmity, cancer, weakness, and sickness in the name of Jesus. Get out from this place, all spirits of wickedness in the name of Jesus. Jesus, sorrow, get out of my life in the name of Jesus. Division, get out of my family in the name of Jesus. I am the Son of God. All that my Father owns is mine. And I release the blessings of God in the name of Jesus. I release happiness, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness into our families in the name of Jesus. Healing and health and strength in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am a son 
redeemed. I am bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And I speak on his behalf. And I say, let there be peace. Let there be joy. Let there be kindness. Let there be forgiveness. Let there be acceptance in this place. No more fear, no more doubt, no more sin, no more curse. Jesus, 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 Jesus gives us freedom. Jesus gives us peace and joy.